Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Wolf Blitzer. This is CNN Tonight. We want to welcome our viewers here in the United States and around the world. Is Vladimir Putin now arresting, arresting some of his own aides? over frustration with this faltering invasion? Are some of his own forces sabotaging his efforts to conquer Ukraine? There are more indications tonight of growing tensions, not only within the ranks of Putin's army, but within Putin's own inner circle. Here's President Biden today on what he's hearing. He seems to be, I'm not saying this with a certainty, he seems to be self-isolating. And there's some indication that he has um, fired or put under house arrest some of his advisors. Um, But I I don't want to put too much stock in that at this time because we don't have that much hard evidence. That followed a question about whether Putin's uh, being misled by uh, about the war by some of his own defense officials, something U.S. intelligence and the uh, Pentagon, for that matter, seem to corroborate. And as this barbaric invasion drags into its sixth week, British intelligence now says some Russian forces are actually refusing to carry out orders, sabotaging their own equipment or accidentally shooting down their own planes as morale keeps sinking on the front lines. And on those front lines, Russian forces do remain in positions around Kyiv. They are still bombing the capital, even though the Kremlin said this week it would dramatically scale back its offensive there. President Biden also addressed that. Depending on your view of Putin, I'm a little skeptical. It's an open question whether he's actually pulling back and going to say, I'm just going to focus on the Donbass and I'm not worried about the rest of the country. The idea is pulling all the troops out from around Kiev and moving south. There's no evidence that he's done that. The northeastern region of Kharkiv is, is coming under a very heavy shelling in the, over the past 24 hours. There's also heavy shelling in the Donbass region of eastern Ukraine, where Russia is now shifting much of its focus. Talks between both sides are scheduled to resume tomorrow, but Ukraine's fight for freedom goes on tonight with some words of encouragement from President Zelensky. They said three or five days. They thought that this would be enough for them to seize our entire state, and it's already 36. And we are standing, and we will continue to fight until the end. All right, let's go live to CNN's Fred and He's joining us from Kyiv right now. Uh, Fred, so what's happening there tonight? Hi there, Wolf. Well, the battle for Kiev certainly uh, uh, continues tonight. There was a big missile strike that actually took place fairly close to the center uh, of Kiev. But at the same time, you know, the main battles for this city uh, took place and are taking place towards the northwest. And there's a district there called Irpin, and that's where the Russians tried to push through all the way to the center of the capital. And that's also where the Ukrainian forces made a stand and are now pushing Russian forces back. That place is extremely dangerous. Residents can't go back there yet. However, we did make it into Irpin today, and here's what we saw. 
There is no safe way to get into Irpin. The only feasible route is on the back of a police special forces pickup truck on dirt paths. But even here, the earth is scorched after Russian troops shelled the trail. Ukrainian forces are taking us into this area on back roads because they say taking the main roads is simply much too dangerous. They want to show us the damage done when Russian forces tried to enter Kiev. Ukrainian authorities say this is still one of the most dangerous places in this war-torn country, and we immediately see why. We are driving right towards an area engulfed in smoke from artillery shelling. This is where Russian forces tried to push into Ukraine's capital, but were stopped and beaten back by the underdog Ukrainians. The battles here are fierce. Authorities say 50% of the city has been destroyed. To us, that number seems like an understatement. We have to keep moving quickly because this place can get shelled anytime. Ukraine's national police now patrols Irpin again, but their forces frequently come under fire, the chief tells me. Just yesterday, our officers who were searching for dead bodies, they were shot at with mortars, he says. They had to lay under the bridge and wait for it to stop. But the grim task of finding and taking out the many dead continues. More than two dozen on this day alone. Some have been laying in the streets for weeks and can only now be removed. When Russian forces invaded Ukraine, they quickly advanced on the capital, Kiev, all the way to Irpin. Here, the Ukrainians stood and fought back. Vladimir Putin's army controlled large parts of Irpin, and the battle laid waste to much of this formerly wealthy suburb. And this was the epicenter, where we find burned-out Russian trucks and armored vehicles. So this is the area where some of the heaviest fighting took place in Irpin, and as you can see, that there was a Russian armored vehicle which was completely annihilated. We do have to be very careful around here because there still could be unexploded munitions laying around. We meet Volodymyr Rudenko, a local resident who says he stayed and took up arms when the Russians invaded. Always, there was not a single day when I left town, he says, even during the heaviest fighting. It must have been difficult, I ask. Just so you understand, he says, once there were 348 impacts in one area in one single hour. And the battle here is not over. Suddenly, Irpin's mayor shows up with a group of special forces saying they're looking for Russians possibly still hiding here. I ask him how it's going. We're working, he says. There's information that there are two Russian soldiers dressed in civilian clothes, but with our group, we're going to clean them up. Ukrainian forces say they will continue the fight and further push Russian forces away from their capital. The deputy interior minister saying they need the U.S.'s support to succeed. What do you need from the United States? Everything. <laughs> Military support, first of all. Weapons to help the Ukrainians expel the invading army, they hope, and finally bring this suburb out of the reach of Vladimir Putin's cannons. But at this point in time, Wolf, that district is still very much in the reach of Vladimir Putin's cannons. And certainly there is still a lot of shelling going on in that area and especially towards the northwest of Kiev. Nevertheless, the troops that we found down there, the Ukrainian troops, their morale seemed to be very high. They were obviously uh, very happy about the fact that, you know, they were confronted with this Goliath.
army, the Russian military that was trying to blast through there and thought they would just wipe them aside. But they took a stand and they managed to beat the Russians back. And they say they will continue to do so, Wolf. Fred Plankin, uh, stay safe over there. Uh, appreciate it very, very much. Uh, the Russian Ministry of Defense says uh, it will reopen a humanitarian corridor from Mariupol tomorrow. French and German leaders asked for that corridor to be reestablished. Within the city, a life for so many who remain is one without electricity, without water, a life where people are left to cook and eat out in the elements. The heartbreaking reality is apparent when you see one little boy wounded in Mariupol in a hospital more than 120 miles away calling for his father. He is being treated in another part of the hospital. I want to warn our viewers right now, this hurts to watch. So heartbreaking to, to look at that. Uh, that's what's going on in this horrible, horrible war that Putin started uh, for no reason at all. I'm joined now by the former U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, uh, Stephen Pfeiffer, and the former NATO Supreme Allied Commander, retired General George Jalwan. To both of you, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, heartbreaking to see those, those images. Uh, General, let me start with you. Tonight, President Zelensky is warning that Russia is preparing for what he's calling powerful strikes in the east and, and on Mariupol in the south. Uh, what are you watching uh, as, as this war enters now week six? Well, I think it's very important that we not get too over-enthusiastic about uh, that the, somehow the war is over. Uh, we've entered another phase. Uh, there's a tremendous firepower left within the so, uh, Russian forces, and there, there's more coming. I think it's uh, we're very prudent now to stay alert. And I know that the Ukrainians are going to stay alert. I just hope that we on the in the West will also stay alert to what may happen next. And that may be a, a large uh, attack by artillery, by, by mortars, by uh, all kinds of, of uh, bombs and aircraft that could really do a lot of damage in Kiev. You're absolutely right. You know, Ambassador, uh, the intelligence now suggests that Putin is isolated, that he's angry at his top advisors. How could that impact this war and any potential, if there is any potential, for negotiations? Well, Wolf, I think uh, Putin's isolation is a matter of concern. Uh, bear in mind, even before COVID, he worked in a very small inner circle mainly that consisted of people like himself from the security services. So it was a group of people with a very similar worldview. And so I think you have to ask questions. Is he getting accurate information about the true extent of Russian casualties and Russian material losses in Ukraine? Is he talking to uh, people like the head of his central bank, who reportedly tried to resign a couple of weeks ago? She's a very competent person, but has he had a chance to talk to her and get a sense of just how badly the Western sanctions are going to begin to bite into the uh, Russian economy. And again, it's a Kremlin that I would argue probably didn't understand that much about Ukraine. It's, it's strange to say, 
but it really looks like, particularly with the initial assault on Kiev, that the Russians actually believe their own propaganda that they would be welcomed as liberators. Yeah. And they're finding now just how hard the Ukrainians are prepared to resist. They certainly are. You know, General, <clears throat> when you look at the maps around Kiev and Kharkiv, for example, are we beginning to see Ukrainians actually retaking territory? Yes, and they're going to do that uh, all along the front. But uh, that should not uh, fool us into thinking that there's not a heavy, heavy attack coming. I think there's a lot of firepower, a lot more conscript troops were called up, and they have the, uh, the advantage in terms of artillery and air and uh, could do a lot of damage. That's why I hope we're looking not just at the battlefield, but we're looking at the total space between Ukraine and Russia and what follow-on forces may be coming. That's well, how they operate. Let me follow up, General, because uh, as you know, the UK intelligence chief uh, says some Russian troops are actually refusing to carry out orders. Russia is also adding 135,000 new conscripts. Uh, what does that tell you? Well, I went through that. I've been watching the Russians and the Soviets since 1962, and they have very poor morale. Their tro troops are not very well disciplined. They don't have. They have poor leadership, and and the troops attack their officers. So uh, th this is nothing new. I just think. You have to look at the potential that the uh, Russians have, and that's still a lot of potential. And we've got to look at that, not just what's happening with some of the soldiers. Yeah, they still have, uh, uh, they, still, they still have chemical weapons. They still have tactical nuclear yeah. weapons, God forbid. Uh, Ambassador, as you know, President Zelensky has now addressed uh, 17 international parliaments, including the U.S. Congress, as well as the European Council, the G7, NATO. How effective are his pleas to the international community, because he keeps repeating the same desperate requests. Well, remember, Zelensky, before he became president, was a television and movie actor. And I think he knows very well how to get a message at his audience. So my sense is that he's been very effective when he addresses Western parliaments and when he addressed the Congress. Uh, and what he's trying to do is build continuing support. There has been... Uh, a burst of Western support for Ukraine. So I believe now something like 30 countries around the world are providing either defensive assistance or military hardware, including lethal weapons to the Ukrainians. He needs to sustain that. The West needs to keep that flow of weapons flowing to Ukraine so that the Ukrainians can do what they've been doing for the past five weeks, which is defending their country. And they're defending their country far more effectively uh, than uh, the Russians believe they would. Well, you got to give the Ukrainians a lot of credit. Ambassador uh, Pfeiffer, uh, General Jalwan, thanks to both of you very much for joining us tonight. Coming up, uh, we're going to take you live to Odessa, and I'll be joined by one of the few Ukrainian parliament members who can travel abroad while her country fights back home. She just met with key lawmakers here in Washington on Capitol Hill. Is Ukraine's plea for more help getting anywhere, though, with Washington? We'll have much more on that when we come back. Tonight, the Pentagon believes a, quote, small number of Russian troops uh, are beginning to reposition as they maintain pressure on Kiev and other cities. That movement 
by the way, comes as Ukrainian officials announced there are no more Russian forces on the site of the Chernobyl nuclear power plant. Our Ed Levandera is joining us right now from Odessa uh, in Ukraine. So, Ed, what's the latest? What do we know? Hey there, Wolf. Well, as people are closely monitoring what is happening with the troop movements in the north uh, of Kiev, uh, the airstrikes throughout most of the day also continued. But the real question and the belief now is that Russia... For Russian forces are regrouping, uh, retreating back toward Belarus to regroup and refit the, uh, their, their forces and will begin focusing on that Donbas region in eastern Ukraine and also along the southern part of Ukraine. And the concern is that it would begin moving along the, the uh, northern coast of the Black Sea and the Sea of Azov and start making its way down from uh, Mariupol and continuing southward toward uh, Odessa. Uh, the UK Minister of Defense uh, said tonight that uh, there are about uh, 2,000 troops in the Georgia region that are being redeployed uh, to be moved into uh, eastern Ukraine. Uh, so that's where all of the focus is uh, and what uh, Ukraine is bracing for now is a renewed push into that uh, eastern contested area and what all of that means uh, for the Ukrainian forces is still very much in, in the air. Uh, President Zelensky was saying tonight that they will continue uh, to defend uh, as hard as they can in, in all of these regions. This is what they are bracing for. Uh, I think one of the questions that really remains up, up, up in the air as well at this time is just the timing of all of this. How long will it take for those Russian forces to make their way and reposition themselves uh, to, re to renew that focus on eastern Ukraine? You're just west of Mariupol in Odessa, where the people there have been bracing, bracing for Russian attacks. Uh, how are the people preparing right now? What are you seeing it? Well, this is a key port city for Ukraine uh, on the Black Sea. Um, losing Odessa would be uh, devastating. It would essentially mean that Ukraine becomes a landlocked uh, country. Uh, much of the city center has been fortified into a, a lockdown uh, situation. We toured that area uh, earlier today, um, and it is void of life. It is just all uh, fortified, military presence heavy. Uh, there are some people living there still. They have permission to kind of come in and out, but uh, businesses are closed and it is all shut down. There are other parts of the city where life is going on as normal, though. Wolf? All right, Ed, be careful over there. Ed Lavendera in Odessa for us, uh, watching what's going on. Members of the House uh, today introduced the bill to hold Vladimir Putin accountable for potential war crimes. The legislation focuses in on strengthening U.S. efforts to collect evidence of those alleged crimes. And that comes amid the growing calls from Republican lawmakers for the White House to speed up weapons transfers to Ukraine. Joining us right now is a key member of Ukraine's parliament, uh, Yevhenia uh, Kravchuk is joining us. Uh, uh, she met with members of the U.S. Congress and others in the U.S. government on Wednesday. Uh, Yevhenia, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for all you're doing. What, what is your message to your American counterparts in the U.S. Congress during the course of these meetings? 
Thank you so much uh, for having me. So our messages were really, um, you know, straightforward and simple. We do need uh, more weapons uh, to to be brought to Ukraine uh, because, uh, you know, the, the, the your previous uh, speakers, the general, uh, were, you know, speaking the truth. I mean, the Russians are repositioning and actually the situation on the battlefield will decide, you know, how it will proceed. So by the time they are regrouping, we understand their plans. We're not naive. We un totally understand what they do. We do need to give, uh, you know, additional strength to our um, to, to our army because we really uh, are standing for 36 days. But, you know, this bravery cannot be with bare hands. And we are really thankful for those weapons that were already shipped um, uh, to Ukraine. And, and, you know, our fighters are doing a very good job with javelins, with stingers. I mean, they shot a missile with a stinger. That's probably, you know, first time um, uh, in, in ever um, uh, it was done. But we do need some uh, more heavy weapons to deblock the cities like Mariupol. Uh, we would have the air defense systems uh, because they are sending missiles from the Black Sea, from, you know, from, from very, very long distance. And we do not have enough of that air system in Ukraine. So we would need that and would need also the fire jets, uh, uh, you know, to, uh, to do our job of, you know, close sort of closing uh, the skies um, for ourselves. And, yeah. you know, we don't need any other, you know, armies boots on our, on the ground. We're doing that ourselves. I mean, there are cues um, to go to military, to join the defense units in different cities. And we have proven that we can um, um, fight and we can uh, counterattack. And what's been happening in in Kiev region? And you know, you saw you showed this piece about uh, with the policemen in in Kiev region, and it just breaks my heart because my husband is in Kiev region. He is uh, head of one of the police departments, and you know, I haven't seen him for more than a month because he has uh, to stay there all the time. And uh, he sent me uh, you know a message today with the numbers of small villages that were liberated by our army. And you should have seen how these uh, Russian tanks are, you know, leaving a fleeing. They put even puppets on this. So they, you know, a bunch of monitors, uh, killers, and, you know, the war criminals and, and, and uh, rapists. You know, today it's interesting, Yevhenia, uh, House lawmakers here in Washington introduced formal legislation to hold Putin accountable for potential war crimes. You said you presented a file on Ukrainian children who have been killed in this war. Can you tell us more about the contents of that file? Uh, this is the most horrible file I ever, you know, read in my life. And every time I go, every day I go to another meeting, I have to cross the number. Why? Because the number are growing. Right now it's 148 uh, children killed, but the number is much uh, higher. We do not have these numbers, for example, from Mariupol. And it can just go, you know, rapidly in um, two or three or, or five uh, times more because we cannot, you know, get that. And uh, this file contains pictures and the stories how these kids were killed. And, you know, I totally don't understand what is the difference between kids in Mariupol, in Kharkiv, in Kiev, uh, and kids in other countries, and, you know, in uh, different uh, uh, capitals, in, in Washington, Berlin, in, 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 in Paris. You know, the morality does not have to end with NATO borders. And we're right now not fighting a war between Ukraine and Russia. We're fighting a war 
for democracy, for all these pillars, you know, the, the United States as a country states. I mean, I've been a foreign exchange student in the United States when I was 15 years old. I know, you know, the, the, the values um, and, and uh, I, I've seen uh, how you taste the terrorists after 9-11. I was here during 9-11. I saw what you did was terrorists. Well, guess what? Russia is country terrorist that Putin is war criminal and he needs to be stopped uh, unless you know the, the if he's not stopped he will go further and we will lose the whole security architecture we have the world have been building after the world war two it's very you know essential with there's everything at stake for us that's why we fight so fiercely and yeah. we will fight till the end until the victory yeah, Henny Kravchuk, uh, thank you so much for all you are doing. Thanks so much for joining for us. G good luck to you. Good luck to all the people in Ukraine. And thank you uh, for American people for supporting us. That's very, very precious for us. I know. It's, uh, you're grateful to all the support you're getting from around the world. Uh, we're going to have much more coming up on the fight for Ukraine just ahead. But there's also, uh, this has been an also uh, a very important day for the January 6th Select Committee here in Washington. The panel got to hear directly from Jared Kushner, the son-in-law of the former President Trump. He's the first member of the Trump family to testify, and there's now word he volunteered information. We have a committee member, a key committee member will join us. There she is, Olofgren. We'll discuss when we get back. We'll have more on the fight for Ukraine uh, tonight. Uh, that's coming up. But a busy day, a very busy day in the January 6th investigations. For the first time, a member of the uh, former president's family speaks with congressional investigators. We're talking about Jared Kushner, uh, Trump's son-in-law, who spent more than six hours talking to uh, members of the House Select Committee. One of those committee members is joining us right now, Democratic Representative Zoe Lofgren. Uh, Congresswoman, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, were you surprised at how much information the former president's son-in-law actually volunteered? Well, as you know, Wolf, our uh, committee rules don't allow us to discuss the substance of interviews without a vote of the committee, which has not occurred. But you can imagine if the interview went on all day long, which it did, that there was it was a useful exchange. Uh, and um, we appreciate that uh, Mr. Kushner came in voluntarily and spent this time answering questions. It's important. Yeah, I assume you don't have to give us the substance, but I assume he answered all your questions, right? Well, what he could remember, he responded to. The length of today's interview, more than six hours, would seem uh, to cover a lot of ground, uh, a lot of territory. Do you expect to cover that same amount of information, for example, with his wife, Ivanka? Should she meet with you as well? Well, uh, we're, we're still um, engaging with her counsel, and we do hope that she will uh, come in and talk to the committee. It just depends on, um, you know, it. there is a lengthy process going through uh, the events leading up to January 6th, obviously we're interested on the what happened the day itself. It's a terrible day for the United States, but it didn't just happen randomly on January 6th that thousands of people came and brutalized the police and tried to stop uh, the, uh, the transfer of power. So there were uh, steps leading up to it, and we need to uncover all of those steps and not every person who talks to us was part of the plot, but uh, people 
heard things, people saw things. So, you know, it's understandable that uh, the media attention goes to uh, those few who have defied the committee and wrongfully so. But meanwhile, hundreds and hundreds of people, including individuals who are part of the former president's inner circle, have come in and uh, talked to the committee at great length. And so uh, we've learned quite a bit. Let me, let me play something for you from Monday when you and several members of the select committee were calling for more action from the Department of Justice. Listen to this. This committee is doing its job. The Department of Justice needs to do theirs. We are upholding our responsibility. The Department of Justice must do the same. Attorney General Garland, do your job so that we can do ours. So, Congresswoman, what's your response uh, today to uh, the news that the department's uh, criminal probe is actually gathering information about the planning of the January 6th rally uh, and the effort to subvert the 2020 Electoral College vote? Well, it's obviously quite interesting, although, as you uh, know, they're the prosecutors and we're just the legislative committee. But I think those comments made by myself and other members were really directed at the lack of action uh, on these referrals we've made uh, for uh, scoff laws. Um, Mark Meadow was the chief of staff, uh, and he asserted some kind of executive privileges refused to come in. You can't do that. That's not what the law provides. If you think you have some privilege, you have to come in and assert that question by question. And clearly, there were questions we had for him that we let him know about that had nothing to do with his discussions with the president. His discussions with uh, state legislators, that wasn't privileged. And certainly, he's uh, published a book where he talks about things, and he's waived the privilege. So really, it's very frustrating. I mean, they, the department has to do what they, it thinks is right. We all understand that, but we're not getting uh, any action. And his behavior was in violation of the law. So there's some degree of frustration, yes. I'm sure that will continue at least for a while. Congresswoman Lofgren, thanks so much for joining us. You bet. New information also coming in tonight on the chaos at the Oscars. So what uh, happened immediately after the actor Will Smith stormed the stage and slapped comedian Chris Rock? We're learning more right now about the role of police that night. Brand new information from a top producer of the award show. That's coming up next. We'll have more for you on the war in Ukraine uh, coming up shortly. But first, we're learning more tonight about what happened behind the scenes after that infamous slap at the Oscars. The ceremony's producer, uh, Will Packer, spoke to ABC News earlier this evening. He revealed that the Los Angeles Police Department told Chris Rock it was prepared to arrest Will Smith for battery. They were saying, you know, this is battery was the word they used in that moment. They said, uh, we will go get him. We are prepared. We're prepared to get him right now. You can press charges. We can arrest him. You have, they were laying out the options. And as they were talking, Chris was, he was being very dismissive of 
those options. He was like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. He was like, no, no, no. And even to the point where I said, I said, Rock, let him, let him finish. The LAPD officers finished laying out what his options were. And, um, and they said, you know, would you like us to take any action? And he said, no. He said, no. Chloe Velas is uh, in Boston where, the, uh, where uh, Rock continues his comedy tour this evening. Uh, Chloe, uh, you've got some new reporting on Will Smith meeting with Academy leadership earlier this week. Uh, what can you tell us about that? Yeah, so I learned this afternoon um, from a source who told me that on Tuesday, Will had a 30-minute Zoom meeting with Academy leadership Wolf, and he apologized to them once again, the first time during his Academy Awards acceptance speech Sunday for Best Actor after he slapped Chris Rock. Um, And the source said that, look, the Academy leaders, they heard him out, they listened to him, and then they told him there are going to be repercussions for what you've done. Now, the Academy released a statement yesterday saying that they have given Will Smith 15 days notice and that on April 18th, that is the day that they will announce what their internal investigation has revealed, what they've decided to do next. Who would have been the uh, final decision maker on whether Will Smith should stay or go? Was it the Oscar producer, Will Packer? Look, I mean, we're going to learn more tomorrow morning on Good Morning America when we get to hear the full interview with Will Packer. I mean, it is fascinating. We know that Academy leadership was seated all over the Dolby Theater, but we do know that they did come to some sort of a consensus, at least the top, top brass, that Will needed to leave. They told his publicist, a source told me, to tell him. And we've seen photos behind the scenes of Denzel Washington on one side and a team member of Will on the other. Perhaps it was in that moment moment that was photographed telling him, you know, firmly that they asked him to leave. And that's when Will said, no, I'm not going to leave. And, you know, according to this source, they simply ran out of time before the best actor category was announced. But in their statement yesterday, they said, look, in hindsight, Wolf, they wish they could have done something differently. We've heard Wanda Sykes, one of the Oscars hosts from last weekend, come out and say he should not have been allowed to stay. She agrees with the consensus that It was wrong, and he should not have been able to stay and accept the award. Do we know if Smith and Rock have been in touch since the incident? According to Chris Rock, no. During his 10 p.m. show last night, um, after I spoke to you, he told the audience, despite what you've heard, no discussions have taken place. That's in reference to Diddy saying that they had squashed things after the award show last weekend. All right, Chloe Malas, excellent reporting. Thank you very, very much. Uh, We turn back to Vladimir Putin's war on Ukraine. Just ahead, the most innocent refugees, babies like this one, not even born when the invasion began. You're going to learn about the heroic efforts of one mother, plus the sounds of solidarity, the music that is as powerful as any tank or missile. The U.N. now says more than 4 million people have fled Ukraine over the past six weeks. That's nearly 10 percent of the country's pre-war population. Most of the refugees are women and children, and some are women who escaped uh, Ukraine to give birth in a land that is free of war. Sidens Kyungla follows their stories at a hospital in Poland that's offering free medical care to all Ukrainian women. Born just hours ago in Poland... 
Baby Adelina is already a survivor of the war in Ukraine. <sighs> is, it, is it hard to be happy? It is, she says. Adelina is Kristina Pavluchenko's first child. You feel guilty? Why? Because I left, she says. Left her home in western Ukraine. The war had begun. The bombing neared their city. Pavluchenko escaped by bus, then walked on foot across the border. Paramedics rushed her to the hospital. She delivered Adelina a month early, separated from her family. Mama, sister. My mother, sister, grandparents still in Ukraine. He's killing our people, she says, of Vladimir Putin. How could anyone be so cruel? I'm terrified. I'm terrified that something like this can happen, that you can lead your everyday life, and all of a sudden, because of decisions that you have no influence upon, uh, there is a war and you have to flee. It's, it's unbelievable. It's terrifying. Dr. Magda Duch is a psychiatrist at Inflanka Specialist Hospital in Warsaw. The hospital, focused on treating women, has seen 80 Ukrainian patients this month, delivered 11 babies, and treated cancer patients like 58-year-old Tatiana Mikhailuk. I ran with my granddaughter in my arms, she says. Missiles had already blown out the windows in their building. As they fled, something exploded next to their car. Her city is now occupied by Russians. She's grateful for her doctors at the hospital and the free health care in Poland that's treating her cervical cancer. Christina is one of the doctors. We're not using her last name because she herself is also a refugee from Ukraine, a mother of a five-year-old and the wife of a Ukrainian military man. Your husband. My husband has been in the military since 2014. At the moment, he's in Lviv. So you had to leave your husband behind. Yes, she says. Now in Warsaw, I can't sit and do nothing, she says. I have this opportunity here to help women who fled the country. With each breath... Baby Adelina offers her mother a respite from the war. What will you tell your daughter about her birth? The truth, she says. We will tell her everything as it was. She should know the truth. All the Ukrainian patients you've seen in this story, the health care is being covered by the government of Poland, including all the care once they leave the hospital. And they're not alone. 197 Ukrainian children have been born in Poland since this war began. Wolf? Thanks to Kyung La. Kyung, thank you very much. Kyung's in Poland. Despite all the hardship in Ukraine, there are glimmers and sounds of hope. Here are just a few of those moments uh, from my new show on CNN Plus, The Newscast. Not all sounds coming out of Ukraine are those of explosions and gunfire. There are also sounds of strength, voices of determination. The resilience in the ruins. Home video of a Ukrainian woman playing the piano in her bomb-damaged apartment viewed nearly a million times. A concert given in a subway station in Kharkiv that's now serving as a makeshift shelter. 
One woman who listens says the music is like a ray of hope in this dark kingdom of war. Refugees crossing into Poland greeted by a piano man for peace. That man who traveled from Germany to be there said maybe he could soften Vladimir Putin's heart with music. Throughout the war, when the attacks have paused, ordinary Ukrainians have gathered to sing their national anthem. So as the fighting stretches into a second month, they hope the rest of the world will continue to hear their defiant and resilient tone. And we'll be right back. Again, that very stirring piece uh, you just saw in our last segment with the musicians in Ukraine is just one example of the unique storytelling you'll find on our new uh, CNN Plus program, The Newscast with Wolf Blitzer. You can stream it uh, weeknights at 7.30 p.m. Eastern or watch it anytime on demand. Learn more at cnnplus.com. Also, join me in the Situation Room tomorrow, 6 p.m. Eastern. I'll see you right here once again tomorrow night as well. I'm Wolf Blitzer. Thanks very much for watching. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.